and welcome to Taking Care of Business. I'm Jackie Mitchell. Have you noticed a few changes on LinkedIn recently? Would you like to keep up to date and make some quick improvements to your LinkedIn profile? Then keep listening to today's show because we cover LinkedIn and we also cover ways to create a competitive advantage in the digital economy. Technology is all about connections and today's show is made possible by our well-connected friends at eView Real Estate, Australia's first multi-brand real estate network. Now, we're going to start talking about LinkedIn with over 500 million members and growing incredibly worldwide. Uh, 49% are key decision makers. LinkedIn has leveled the playing field, making it easier for any company to find, connect and build relationships with potential prospects. Our first guest and our LinkedIn expert is a true trailblazer. She was one of the first 80,000 people in the world on the platform, which started in May 2003, and she joined LinkedIn on the 21st of December 2003. She has been consulting on the topic of LinkedIn globally since 2008. Sue Elson, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Jackie. A pleasure to be here. I hope I got those uh, statistics right. You have indeed. Oh, yes. that's good. And, uh, that's a good published start. my first 80,000 word book on LinkedIn in 2016. Oh, wow. Yeah, congratulations. I didn't know that. That's really exciting. Now, you describe yourself as an independent LinkedIn specialist. Why do you have to put independent on there? I just wanted to differentiate myself because a lot of people, when they see the word LinkedIn, automatically make an assumption that you might work for LinkedIn. Ah. So I, I put that independent as a bit of a brand and also the LinkedIn specialist word, I didn't want to be known as an expert um, because there's various jokes made about experts, mm. but also I rank in Google, both uh, number one in Google search results, the LinkedIn specialist, both in Melbourne and Sydney, believe it or not. I do believe it. Now, how do you keep up to date with all the changes that LinkedIn's doing? Well, a lot of the time it's just basically because I'm on the platform so frequently. But one of the other things that I've joined more recently is I'm part of a group message on LinkedIn of LinkedIn experts internationally. So I provide information to them and they provide information to me. And that keeps me pretty much up to date as well. So we now know that Microsoft bought LinkedIn a while back. It's been, when, when was that? Was it 18 months ago or two years ago? Yeah, they bought it? 2016 right. when Microsoft acquired LinkedIn, one of the biggest corporate acquisitions in history. Yeah. And have you noticed any difference with that change, particularly with Microsoft engaging thought leaders like yourself or influencers as they probably refer to you as? Do they, are they proactively engaging with you? Well, LinkedIn originally had about 300 influencers worldwide and they were specifically recognised as regular contributors and, and had sort of special kudos. I'm not one of those people. Um, there's a lady in New Zealand I know that you know does a lot of that sort of work. Um, and interestingly, LinkedIn keeps an eye on a number of things and I've noticed a number of Microsoft employees checking out what I do as well. Now, they never actually physically contact me directly, but I ping them in a lot of my posts and articles and I, I can tell that they are actually looking at my content. And also, I've sent off a few requests for particular things. So, for instance, in one of the upgrades they did, they lost the function to add a company profile from the menu. So if you're a new business starting out and wanted to have a company page on LinkedIn, you couldn't have it. So I messaged them and said, look, you guys, you've got to add it back to the menu. Now, they didn't reply to that specifically, but 
sure enough, a week later, it was back on the menu. So, look, it's hard to know how much gets through or doesn't get through. But one of the things I'm very conscious of is always focusing on the positive. And a few of the changes have been detrimental even to me. So, for example, I had over 4,500 votes on my skills and endorsement sections for the various skills that I have. And in one upgrade, I lost the whole lot. Um, so all those people over the years who'd kindly voted for my various skills, they, all those votes disappeared. And I contacted LinkedIn. I said, look, you know, this has happened. And, you know, what can I do about it? And they said, oh, that's a known issue. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so if you look at my, my profile, you see I don't have many votes for LinkedIn. That's why, I, you know, just a technical glitch and I lost them all. Oh, so it actually was a technical glitch from link, from LinkedIn. Mm. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't yeah, a planned look, upgrade. Yes, it's, it's like many platforms, you know, things can go wrong and, you know, that's one thing that has gone wrong. But, look, I stick with the platform because what I really appreciate about LinkedIn is they're constantly upgrading and updating the platform and that's why it's my sort of social media platform of choice. But also, obviously, given the nature of helping people with LinkedIn profiles, you'd want to be on there. Um, but I still believe that the two profiles that any business owner needs to have is LinkedIn and Google+. Plus. Um, and Google+, Plus so that you appear in search results, not so that you can spend all day scrolling through the news feed, which, you know, is pretty much useless. Hmm. Yeah, look, I, I was about to lead into that, so I'm so glad you've said that because I think... There's a real distraction around Facebook and Instagram. I think that a lot of businesses and even Twitter, look, Twitter's are good for individual thought leaders, but for, for businesses, uh, look, I, I sort of question that. And every, particularly entrepreneurs or small business, time's the real issue. And, mm. and they say, oh, I've got to be on this platform and this place. I just don't have the time. So I say to them, pick one and do that mm. quite well. And the one they should be picking is LinkedIn. I mean, Google Plus, you don't need to update that, that no. often. So it's just getting that, make sure you've got that. You're right for mm. SEO. But LinkedIn should be, if they had to pick, if they've got 10 minutes a day to do something, then they should be starting with LinkedIn because that is your business platform. Yeah, look, it is a business platform, but more importantly, you can optimise it for a variety of things. So you can optimise it for your name, your business name and your keywords and it's digital content that remains there permanently and works for you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So so that's one of the reasons I like it. But, I mean, if I was a visual design business and all my um, business was based on, you know, images, it's a little bit hard to convey that on LinkedIn. So I'd probably say for that business, you know, depending on who you're trying to reach, Instagram could possibly be the better platform for you. So you really need to think about your target audience. But a really interesting research report was done by Census last year. Um, and you can look at our census uh, social media report. They've done another really fantastic one this year. But at the amount of Australian businesses who spend time and money on social media believe that it's been worthwhile but actually cannot prove a return on investment. And that, to me, is completely terrifying. So what has happened, in my view, is the likes of Facebook has been very good at convincing us, oh, my goodness, you boosted that post. It reached 44,000 people. It was so worthwhile. Uh, but, yeah, you didn't get a lead to your website. Nobody clicked on the link. You know, who cares if 44,000 people scrolled past it or it, it appeared on the bottom of their screen and they never actually saw it because it's just an impression and it, it was called when the page was called. So, so, yeah, look, I think you've got to be really careful on how you spend your time your money and your energy because, you know, for some people this stuff is 
you know, easy to do. Uh, digital natives obviously find it a bit easier. But for a lot of people, you're going to make a lot more money um, becoming part of joint ventures or alliances or getting referrals or meeting people in real life. You know, there's, there's lots of other ways to do business. Yeah, look, I think we're still in early days about trying to make social media work effectively and uh, a a bit of advice that that I heard from a social media expert through this radio show and I thought it was really sound advice was all of us should have an hourly rate okay we we all know that as as business people particularly Mm -hmm. if you're working for yourself so if you apply that hourly rate to how much time a week you spend on social media then that Mm -hmm. should actually go in your budget as a line item as -hmm. as an expense so if you looked at it like that you might then go hang on a minute I've just spent my business has just spent five thousand dollars this month on social media where's the return Mm -hmm. and it's just you know I suppose shifting your mindset as to how you look how you look at it so I think that's mm. something to, to consider now Party. we're just yeah. I'm just going to go through some basics Sue then we're just going to take a short break and come back with some of the new changes on it but mm-hmm. I just wanted to remind everyone we are speaking with Sue Elson and some basic LinkedIn questions that I get things like should you accept requests from everybody Well, always depends on your purpose. Mm -hmm. And so I say yes to pretty much anybody in Australia because I'm Australian and I'm happy to accept those invitation requests. But if somebody is a a real niche specialist and does something very unique, they don't need to connect with, you know, everybody to do that. What I find really surprising is a lot of business owners don't connect with their own clients. And I think that's somebody they should actually be targeting. So that way you can obviously keep them as part of your network and if you're active on LinkedIn, it sort of gently reminds them that you still exist and we all know that existing customers are one of the best sources of new business. So uh, rather than panic about all these invitation requests, which you can choose to accept or ignore as they come in, um, I'd probably suggest your better goal is to try and make sure that you do connect with people that are important. Now, out of the whole LinkedIn profile, in your opinion, what's mm-hmm. the number one thing that anyone creating a LinkedIn profile should get absolutely right, should pay the most attention to? The headline, which is directly underneath your name. And you get 120 characters if you update that on your mo- on your desktop or laptop. But if you update it on your mobile phone, you get about 200 characters. And the words that are in that headline, which appear obviously just under your name but also just under your photograph, that's not only what people see when they look at your profile, but it's how your LinkedIn profile comes up in search results. So if you are a management consultant specialising in financial reporting or um, business growth or something like that, then you need to have those key words in your headline. Otherwise, if I'm looking for a management consultant or a business growth expert, you're just simply not going to appear in search results. And um, and I've worded mine with a label that people can remember me by, so independent LinkedIn specialist, and then I put all my keywords after that and something that makes me memorable. So I'm currently writing my fourth book called Gigsters, and so I've put the word Gigsters near the end so that... You know, I don't look like every other LinkedIn person. I say, well, what the heck is Gigsters? And it just makes me sort of stand out because it's a little bit unique. And I had another client who was in reputation management. He was in his 60s and a cricket player. So I thought, well, that's interesting. 
So let's put that in the headline. So, so in terms of search results, absolutely the headline. Um, but the other thing that you really need to be conscious of is your photograph because, believe it or not, people will spend up to 60% of the time looking at your LinkedIn profile, looking at the photo. So if that doesn't reflect the type of person you want to be viewed as by clients and um, stakeholders and whatever, then yeah, you're really letting yourself down with that as well. And there's a website called photofeeler.com where you can assess your likability, your influence and your um, capability or something. So, yeah, so it's worth running it through that if you want some feedback. Oh, that's great advice. And not don't wear sunglasses would be my really simple <laughs> advice. I've seen profiles and they've got a photo and they've got sunglasses on. Yeah, look, uh, you've also got to be making sure that the eyes are the focus of the photograph, yes. you know, not your hairy chest or your bust line or something or another else. Yes. I mean, you really want people – people do business with the eyes and if you can smile with your teeth showing, you'll obviously – appear a lot friendlier as well. Yes, that's right. And if people like you, then they lead to believability and trust and all mm. that sort of stuff. But Sue Elson, you're going to stick around, aren't you, for the next part of our show because I want to get stuck into the changes that LinkedIn has made. So will you hang yeah. around? Absolutely. I love it. Love talking with Sue Elson. We're talking about LinkedIn. On the other side of this break, all the latest changes, you won't want to miss this. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to Taking Care of Business. We are talking about technology and the digital disruption and and uh, and what's happening in that space and particularly social media and with a focus on LinkedIn, of course, this is Taking Care of Business. So, of course, we want to talk about a business social media, which is LinkedIn, and we have our LinkedIn specialist, our independent LinkedIn specialist, Sue Elson, joining us today. And, Sue, just before uh, the break, we were just talking about generally about LinkedIn and there's been a lot of changes. So we've promised everybody, well, I'm going to promise and deliver on my promise that we're going to talk about some of the changes that LinkedIn's making. And on your LinkedIn uh, profile, if anyone's interested, you can see that Sue's written a wonderful article and she's got 20 tips there. Now, we won't go through all of them, but I just want to highlight a couple of them particularly. So mm-hmm. one of the changes was the jobs tab is increasing in functionality. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, look, it's really interesting because uh, a lot of people want to source work not just from their existing location but internationally. And one of the features that's on the Jobs tab is the ability to choose locations where you'd like to come up in search results. So if you're thinking about spending a year in Nepal and and picking up work over there, like my my geek IT guy is off to Japan for a year. So if he wants to start fishing for jobs in Japan before he goes, he can mention that he's looking for work in that location. And this is mostly for, for sort of bigger jobs. So if you work with uh, large companies who have LinkedIn recruiter and you want to come up in their search results. If you've turned on your career interests, you can put in a note there for those people who view your profile. And I've told recruiters that I'm open, but I say that I'm available on a consulting basis. So when it says what type of jobs am I open to, I've ticked contract part-time, remote and temporary, not full-time internship or volunteer. And I've said I'm not looking for jobs, but I'm open to offers and I'm you know, happy to look at anything in the one to three month range. So these are all choices that I can make. I can choose industries, I can choose job titles, 
Um, and I have to keep a record of that because after three months, it just vanishes from the screen. LinkedIn tells you when they've taken it off, so you've got to update it every three months. But I find that a really great way to, you know, broaden my search results and my appeal. Okay, and that's really useful for students, I'd imagine. Yes, students, uh, graduates mm. uh, that are, you know, leaving university soon, or um, and even you know people who just want the odd gig here and there, who are towards the end of their full-time working life, but, you know, still want to be picking up non-executive director roles or something like that. So, yeah, there's, there's plenty of scope for that option. Okay, that's great. Now, another thing that's always annoyed me, and I know it's annoyed a lot of other people, but it's changed now, your notifications. Like, I, with all due respect, I don't need to know about your birthday. Facebook lets me know that. On business side of it, there's people I don't know very well, and I wouldn't be comfortable sending them a happy birthday when I've maybe just had a conversation with them on, on the telephone, mm-hmm. on the radio show and things. So you can now have more control over your notifications. Is that right? You can. So when you click on the notifications tab, if there's a type of notification that you don't want, you can now unsubscribe from that information um, entirely. So no birthdays at all. In fact, I don't even recommend that you put your date of birth on your LinkedIn profile because it's part of your identity. Um, But, yeah, I don't subscribe to birthday notifications or work anniversaries, but I do like to know when people have commented on something because I always try and respond to comments that people make on my content and and I I don't need any extra work. So, um, yeah, I've I've shuffled those. Also on the left of your screen when you look at your notifications feed, you can choose view settings and that will enable you to decide all the different notifications, the activity in your network, the activity that involves you, your invitations and messages, jobs and opportunities, news and articles and updates from your group. So, um, yeah, you've got a lot more control over what you get notified of. That, and uh, for me, I reckon that's a fantastic update. Now, as, as we know, mobile, the, the use of mobile technology has actually outperformed PC and tablet mm-hmm. use. Uh, so with your, with the mobile app, they've made some really, really cool changes. And mm. one in particular was the scan code. Can you explain yeah. a bit more what, how that works? Yeah, absolutely. So some of these features or the mobile improvements are obviously not available on a desktop or a laptop computer. But if you're out at a networking event, you don't even have to carry business cards anymore. You just press in the search box on the mobile uh, app and what will come up is the, the, the word scan code. And if you press on that, um, you can either be having your phone as a camera or you can show your QR code on the screen. So if I met you at a networking event, I can show you my QR code and you can scan with your phone and then it brings up my profile instantly on your phone and then you can message me, invite me to connect with you, whatever you want to do. So it's really great for one-on-one meetings and it makes you look like you're digitally competent, not just digitally literate, and I think it's a really great tool. And, and the other one that's similar to that but is really good if you're the speaker at an event, and I normally, when I speak at an event, I encourage people to to turn on Bluetooth and make sure they've got the LinkedIn app downloaded on their phone at the beginning of a presentation. And then at the end, I get everybody to go to their LinkedIn app and click on the little icon with the two pictures of people, which is my network, and then in the middle of the screen it says Find Nearby. Now, this acts a bit like a dating app when it scans the room for for any other profiles that are sort of in your region, 
And whilst everybody has that screen open, all their LinkedIn profiles, um, if they've enabled the Bluetooth, will actually appear on the screen and you can go through and add those people to your network and then when you get back or after the event uh, to your office or after the event, you can go through your network tab and see who the people you've just connected with and follow up with all of those people you've just met. Yeah, I've used that and it's it's absolutely fantastic. I think they're really great, great tips. Mm. Now, the other thing that we all hear about is the advent of video. It's, it's working, mm. it's movement, uh, it's increasing engagement by an enormous amount, much more effective than text or still photography or photos. So <laughs> LinkedIn has now added native video. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so it's not live video, so you can't do a, a LinkedIn live broadcast from wherever you are, but you can record a video on your phone or other device and then upload that to LinkedIn. And it appears to work more effectively than a, a YouTube video. And also, if you have an SRT file, and I, I cheat, I upload my videos to YouTube first and then get the SRT text transcript of all the captions and update it. If you upload that at the same time, then your actual captions will appear on the video as well. So you can rank for the text in the captions and you know, have you ever tried to watch a video without reading the captions? It's almost impossible. We're sort of programmed to read the text. Mm. So I find that really good. But I'd also add, keep your videos pretty short. And in the introduction to your post, you've got about 2,000 characters, I think, um, try and include a little bit of a text summary of what is in your video because although a lot of people like video there's some people like me who can't be bothered watching for a minute and a half but if we see the text and we like the text we'll say well look that text looks actually really good I think I might watch the video so uh, don't assume that everybody loves video although I do believe that men prefer video over women and a clinical psychologist once told me men like video because they don't like reading. <laughs> but anyway, uh, uh, yeah, there's a few extra tips you can incorporate, but yeah, definitely consider video as part of your strategy. Yeah, and another tip that you had, and you're giving wonderful tips, this is absolute gold, I'm loving it, thanks Sue, as always, is that post-performance is changing. So you've in your tip here, you've found that adding a photo first or a native video will perform better if they have an early engagement. So it's putting the photo or the video first rather than at the bottom of the text. Is that your point? Yeah, so when you go to write up an update, it's called, um, You, what most people do is they type in whatever they're going to say and provide an external link. Now, what that will often do is if you've got a featured image on that page of, that you've linked to, then that image will appear in the news feed. But I actually upload an image first mm. and then start typing up the post or, you know, the update. And I've found that that works a lot better, particularly if you have multiple images. So, again, if I was speaking at an event, I'll take a few photos, upload the photos, and then I'll say, today I was on radio with Jackie Mitchell, I'll ping you, I'll add in some hashtags, blah, blah, blah. And that post would perform much better than if I had simply just, um, link to the, to the broadcast page on your website. Okay, that's really good. Now, the other thing is about articles. We know that, or that used to be writing an article on LinkedIn was great for SEO. Is that still mm. the case? 
Well, same to report. I'm, I'm not convinced it is anymore. I'm finding that some of my articles are not appearing in Google search results. What I am excited about is I can now copy the link to my articles and put them on archive.org so that there's a permanent record that I wrote it. Um, so, yeah, look, I can't guarantee that it is going to appear in Google search results anymore. But that said, it's not a reason for me not to write articles because I want people to see that I publish content and it means that something that's more recent appears, that they do look at my LinkedIn profile and they see that section on the left of the screen, then they can click through and read the articles. And, and I still like writing long-form content and providing value. So, yeah, look, you know, it's like most things. The performance can change. Is it a reason to automatically stop it? No. Uh, is it a reason to sort of reassess how often you do it and and what ways you're going to go about it? Well, absolutely. And one of the best places to publish content is on your own website because that you always own and can control. Yes, that's that's a really good point. Now, just to finish up, the other question I had for you was uh, was about groups. So, in the in the past, you'd create if you're running your own business, you'd create a you'd create a company. Sorry, I'll, I'll start again. A, a company page. You create a company page and you put your logo on there, so then you could link back to your company page, so your logo appears on your profile. Now, are are they, and they being the, the LinkedIn owners, Microsoft, are they uh, expecting you to be writing content on that company page? Are they penalising you if you don't or are they promoting you or not? Okay, so again, the performance of posts on LinkedIn company pages has changed and I went to a seminar once where the general manager of Twitter spoke and she said that if the CEO of Telstra puts out a tweet, they can actually market to a stock market price rise, uh, whereas if the PR department of Telstra says we're doing great guns, nobody notices. So likewise, on a lot of social media platforms, even Facebook, if you send something out as a person to your friends, that goes a lot broader than something that you post on your Facebook page. So it appears the same thing is happening on LinkedIn. Now, the other option that you've got is a group, um, but obviously you've got to convince people to join a group. And I have found, even after multiple requests, a lot of clients, friends, colleagues, whatever, don't want to join a group. They don't have time for that. Mm. Now, what is important is to maintain your company profile on LinkedIn. So if I hear about Jackie Mitchell and you've got a company profile on LinkedIn, I may actually look at it. And if you've not posted anything there for the last six months, I'll say, well, you know, is she really still in business or not? So I would suggest that, yes, keep a lot of content coming out of you as an individual, but make sure that the company profile is being updated at least 12 times a year, once a month, so that if people do a little bit of due diligence and look at your company profile, there is something there. Um, so, yeah, that would be my recommendation. Okay, that's good. And I'm glad you covered the groups. I was getting a bit confused there about groups and company pages and, oh, it was all getting a little bit, uh, it was too many too many layers there. So thank you yeah. for clarifying that. Uh, that's great. Sue Elson, all the LinkedIn updates is, I know you've got 20 at least on mm. your article that you've written on your LinkedIn page. And so if anyone listening wants to find out more and I really like your reference to LinkedIn sharks because I'm noticing an increase in them so um, mm. you've you've got some advice of how to handle those as well and if anyone wants to find you of course they can find you on LinkedIn and uh, they can also find you your website is 
SueWellston.com, S-U-E-E-L-L-S-O-N.com. And uh, you can also check out my books at 120ways.com. So, yeah, thanks for the opportunity, Jackie. Always. Oh, no, it's always great. You're very generous with sharing your knowledge. I know there's uh, you've read a lot, lot of articles, some podcasts, some presentations, including videos. You're, you're a great educator, and so I really enjoy having you on the show, sharing the knowledge. Sue Elson, thank you again for your precious time. Thanks, Jackie. Thank you. You're listening to Taking Care of Businesses. We are picking the best brains in the world and trying to, I suppose, communicate and share the knowledge of so many elements of business and people are finding business difficult at the moment and it's because it's moving so fast. So hopefully we're helping to break down some of those barriers and, uh, and share, as I said, share that knowledge. So we'll be right back to do that a bit more after this short break. Welcome back to Taking Care of Business today as we talk about digital, the digital world. Now, digital change is everything in business today. We keep hearing so much about it. But what happens to old school business models that fail to adapt to this change? Our next guest is a global thought leader in technology and digital transformation. He is a former partner and Chief Digital Officer at KPMG, where he led the digital transformation of the company's business model, embedding technology in KPMG services throughout its global network. He was named Young Executive of the Year in 2011 by AFR Boss and is now CEO of Digital Assets Ventures. He has just released his first book called Chasing Digital, a playbook for the new economy. Anthony Stevens, welcome to the show. Thanks very much. Well, congratulations on releasing your first book, Chasing Digital. Now, what led you to writing a book? Um, so it was, probably, it was probably about 18 months ago and uh, I was sitting with a colleague overlooking uh, the Melbourne city skyline thinking about um, the businesses that littered the uh, – or the, the brands that littered the top, top of the buildings in the skyline – and um, our thoughts were that most of those businesses were in, in trouble to some extent uh, and that technology in the world of digital would, um, you know, disrupt in many respects um, what they're doing. And we felt that uh, there was another opportunity, though, and the opportunity was to help the leaders of those businesses understand how to transform their business and and that led us to thinking about pretty much how, and uh, the how is the um, is, is what's been captured in the book uh, that we just released. Okay, so you talk about with the how to integrate how to integrate technology into your business strategy and culture. What are some key elements of that? Yeah, so we the, the, the book's broken up into three sections. The first section that we we advocate for every business, be it big or small. Uh, to focus on relates to what we refer to as the big decisions. And in terms of in t- the big decisions are basically strategy, organisational design and culture. Uh, and I think for, for many businesses, the strategic um, decision-making that they've got to undertake is to think about the demand side of their business, not the supply side of their business. So in simple terms, for many decades, businesses have, have thought about how to optimise inputs you know, be it products or services that they buy and then they add a margin and they make money. Um, and our view, when we looked at the big technology businesses, the most successful businesses in the world today, 
um, is that they focus on the demand side. So they think about the interaction um, between their businesses and their customers, typically in a digital form. And uh, that's probably one of the big secrets or uh, areas of research that we uncovered in, in writing the book. Oh, that's great. And what about things like minimising friction with with key stakeholders within a business? What are some of the tips you've got for that? Yeah, so, I mean, we, we feel um, that this process of digital transformation is, is particularly challenging and, you know, lots of businesses out there have been trying this for some time and the challenge sort of boils down to the fact that Every company's got an existing business model and part of transforming their business is uh, to come up with a new one. And that's kind of really hard to do um, within the current business uh, context. You know, there's, there's policies, procedures, management, decision-making frameworks, etc. And doing something completely new within the old is tough. So one of the recommendations is to actually think about spinning out um, a separate functional business unit or organisation to focus on the transformation while the old uh, business continues to run. And then over time, once the new business is up at scale or has proven um, out a new approach, uh, then integrate that uh, other business back in. Then um, that, sort of, that sort of helps people manage risk and, and focus on the things that are important to keep the old running while getting the new up and running at the same time. Now, I was, I was curious with the name of your book, Chasing Digital. Now, my interpretation of that, and it could be completely not what the intent was, or maybe it was, but it was all about the digital always seems to be a step or two or three or five ahead of where business is. And so business leaders and managers are constantly having to chase the digital revolution, I suppose. Was that the intent or have I completely yeah, no, misunderstood I that? Yeah, that's it. Um, I mean, what what tends to happen, a lot of people ask me kind of what is digital and it ends up um, entering into a discussion about different types of technology that exist and I think part of the challenge is that business leaders pick up, you know, the paper on the weekend or a magazine at the airport and, and there's a lot of talk about the latest, you know, gadget or the latest piece of technology that some vendor around the world's um, introduced and people associate that new technology with um, the sort of the sort of things they need to understand in order to change their business model. And so there's this sense that because the technology is coming out so frequently, they're forever chasing this new stuff, and if they understand this new stuff, then that'll allow them to change their business. Um, and and that, that's hence the, hence the kind of the, the, the title, Chasing Digital. Does that then lead to a more reactive strategic mindset, I suppose, from leaders because they're feeling that they're having to chase and being more reactive than proactive? Yeah, I think I think that's kind of what happens, right? So, so um, organisations tend to latch on to particular technologies or look at technologies trying to itself solve a problem as distinct from looking at their business and, and understanding the strategy um, that they need to put in place. So, so our view, and it's articulated in the book, is that Rather than focus on specific specific technologies, we think about three, or we advocate people think about three digital enablers. One of those is data, one of those is platforms, and one of those is systems of intelligence as being general domains of technology as distinct from specific technology. 
So in doing that, you sort of get away from this idea immediately, get away from this idea of chasing and instead feel a little bit more in control and able to, to, to map your strategy against those um, digital enabling themes. Okay, so I'm curious on the systems of intelligence. Are you talking about AI? Yeah, that's 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 an element of it. I think um, systems of intelligence is a is a um, is a phrase that's been more been used a bit more recently. It it combines basically the use of data, some degree of artificial intelligence, and very importantly, a, an effective user interface um, associated with any piece of software. So our view is that if you look at any of those elements in isolation, you don't get a system that works well or is of value. Um, but instead, if you combine artificial intelligence or elements of artificial intelligence, data, and a very effective user interface, you're going you're to be able to build or, or introduce something to your customers that is really useful. What are some of the challenges at the moment for business in your, from your experience on the technological front or the digital front? Uh, expectation management's really, um, really a big deal. I mean, that's um, you know a lot of the media out there talks about artificial intelligence and robotics and blockchain and these sorts of things. And I think that leads organisations to feel as if those technologies themselves are going to sort of solve huge amounts of problems within their business or open up opportunities straight away. Um, I think the process of investment management is a big challenge for organisations. They have a particular framework in which they've invested over the years, decisions they've made about um, where their money goes and what sort of returns they're expecting from that. Uh, In the world of technology or digital transformation, quite often those frameworks need to be reset uh, or just thought about quite differently. Um, The other challenges relate to risk management. Um, and uh, companies needing to think about the role of open source software in a different way to be able to think about security uh, and compliance. Uh, just about all areas of business are changing, but there, there are a few uh, uh, major major challenges companies need to, to work through. So uh, let's take it a step further from companies, larger companies that, that do have the resources that say small business owners or entrepreneurs that you know work for themselves or have a very small team around them. How do they make that digital transition? Because I can see there's some enormous gaps of knowledge and uh, enormous gaps of confidence, I suppose, from a mindset perspective. So what advice would you give an SME or an entrepreneur that know that 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 they sort of inherently know they've got to know more about the digital uh, economy and how to use digital technology to improve their business? What advice would you give them? Sure. So I mean it's interesting that one of the big decisions companies need to make uh, in today's economy in our view relates to their involvement with uh, platforms that exist out there, um, typically provided by large tech players. Uh, and if you're a big business, you might you might decide that you can afford to build your own platform, uh, or in some way somehow take a sort of significant role as as a contributor to a to a platform. If you're a smaller business, on the other hand, you know, you've got the opportunity to kind of tap straight into those environments. For example. Um, Amazon has built, as we all know, a very effective e-commerce platform. 
able to be used around the world. In actual fact, of you know, the last six months set up operations in Australia. Um, so anyone in a in a kind of consumer uh, sales or product sales based business model is able to tap into the likes of Amazon.com.au to sell and distribute their uh, products online. Um, so it's about being sort of conscious about what are the things that exist out there where someone else has made considerable investment and how do I play in that environment as a small business owner without giving away the keys to the castle uh, at a strategic level. Yeah. Um, so reaping the benefits but not, um, you know, not being now uh, a slave to, to one of the tech giants' business models. Uh, now, I must just go back to you writing a book, Anthony. One of, uh, I'm just going to get my soapbox out from underneath the mm-hmm. desk here and stand on it for a minute. I, I speak to a lot of authors uh, as part of this radio show, and there's a consistent theme uh, writing a book is really hard work. And I, and I think that there's a bit of romance attached to, you know, must write a book, must write a book, and everyone's thinking about writing a book or starting to write a book and not having a reality check of the process. So can you just share with us what your experience was with writing your first book? Yeah, so I, I was lucky enough to, to co-author the book with a colleague of mine. Um, so it was a joint effort, and we had um, a coach that helped us set out the structure of the book and think about... Um, uh, sort of the overall narrative and the points that we were trying to make. One of the one of the biggest challenges is it's, it's really time consuming. I mean, we, we spent a lot of nights, weekends, um, writing, thinking, researching. We researched, um, you know, a couple of hundred articles, spoke to a bunch of people uh, locally and overseas to get their points of view. Um, and so there's a, there's a huge sort of grind. It was probably about nine months of grind just writing content, thinking about it and editing that content so it, it made sense and hung together well. Um, from a from a personal point of view, the other challenge was that, you know, right towards the end, uh, before we handed the manuscript over to our publisher, we had an editor that reviewed the uh, manuscript and, and she sort of chopped, well, I think we had about 55,000 words written at the point, at that point and that got edited to about 40,000 words so huge amounts of content and, and emotional effort and, you know, hard work was sort of, you know, struck out with a, with a stroke of a key on a keyboard, I guess, um, which has ended up with a, with a much better result, of course, but, you know, um, confronting in the sense that, you know, it's, it's, it's quite a personal thing to do and, and the thoughts are yours and, you know, it's hard to see red lines put through stuff. Yeah, um, well, it must, it must be like a sense of loss. <laughs> yeah, that, that, totally. It's, it's, it's all of that, but... Look, we got to we got to a better spot, and um, you know, uh, I think just the process there. In, in, we were lucky enough to have a book published by Wiley, uh, locally and internationally, and and so they hand over to them. It then involved more editing and more finessing, which is which has ultimately been good. But I think you get to a certain point where the creativity stops, and you really get into the actual process of getting a book out to market, which is which is which is just frankly hard work. Yeah, it is hard work. Well, congratulations because it is it is a great book, and I think whoever did the editing did a great job. And as as you said, it's probably the hardest yet most important. That's quite often quite often the uh, quite often the case. But I do love one of the in the conclusion of it. It was all about the key message I got from there was about embrace the chase. <laughs> yeah. I think I think that could be the title of your next book. 
Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I mean, that's what that's that's what it all comes down to. Is saying there's, there's lots of reasons to, you know, duck and weave and and be a little uncertain about stuff. But the businesses that are going to survive are ultimately those that embrace um, digital and undertake some form of digital transformation. So. That's great. Well, uh, those that are uh, listening today have just joined us. We've been chatting with Anthony Stevens, who has written his first book, uh, an, an extraordinary book, outstanding book, Chasing Digital, a playbook for the new economy. I highly recommend it everywhere where good books are sold. And Anthony, anyone who wants to find out more information about you, I know that you have a website, anthonystevens.com.au. They can also find you on DA Ventures as yep. well. Uh, is that dot com? Yeah, no, DA.Ventures. Oh, so DA.Ventures. Right, that's, yeah, sorry, I get a bit confused when it doesn't have a oh, com sorry. at the end. It's the new. Yeah. See, I need to embrace the chase. <laughs> and also LinkedIn. Anywhere else uh, you'd like to mention before we no, uh, finish I think that's up? It. Wonderful, Andy. Thank you very much for your valuable time. It's been great to have you on the show. Pleasure. Thanks very much. Thank you. You're listening to Taking Care of Business as we pick the best brains in the business world. Welcome back to Taking Care of Business. That's the end of the show. Can't believe it goes so fast. We hope you've enjoyed eavesdropping on our conversation today, picked up some tips, learned something new, or at the very least feel inspired. If you just joined us, you missed a lot, but you can grab this show on the podcast on the RWPFM website, rwpfm.com.au. Or follow us on social media. Thank you to all of our worldly guests today. And we look forward to your company next Friday, 11am. In the meantime, keep taking care of your business.